Hi, I'm Magda, and you're listening to Canada Out of the Closet. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Canada Out of the Closet. My name is Travis Bozer, and with me, as he always has been for a good number of episodes now, is my good friend, Mr. John Whitten. Say hello to the folks, John. Hello, folks. Well, John, today, uh, we're, we're doing something a little different around here. We're going to change things up a little bit. Uh, you know, we've shared a number of stories uh, with you, our listeners, so far, uh, and our guests have all uh, talked about kind of when they've publicly come out and, and when they've declared that to the world. Um, our guest today hasn't really done that publicly, so it's something a little bit different uh, that we're going to discuss today. Yeah, maybe more personal uh, topic for her. She's a wonderful member of her community. Uh, we both know her, and we're looking very much forward to hearing her story. It is. It's. it's and uh, I. I. I don't know too much about it yet, uh, which is part of the reason that because she's not a very public person about that. Um, and so I think it'll be really fascinating, really interesting, and to hear that different perspective about why. Um, maybe why she hasn't been so public about it as well. So I think there's going to be a lot to learn here today. So why don't we just jump right in? Let's do that. Well, John, our guest has joined us now, and her name is Magda. And John, she's somebody that you and I know, uh, we met through choir, actually, doing some singing and different things. We did. And uh, she is a, a lovely friend of ours, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about her story. Welcome to the show, Magda. Thank you, Travis. It's nice to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And uh, so we start out our show with the same question every time, which is, when did you come out? Well, that's an interesting question for me because I don't feel that I've ever really come out except to on a one-to-one -one basis with cer certain friends. But I was outed, I feel, a few years ago by a, f a friend, and they didn't know that they had outed me until I told them sometime later because they introduced me as uh, the partner of my partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a tricky situation <laughs> when that happens. And uh, I think that's something that's happened to a lot of people, um, which is, I, I, nothing bothers me more than that. I've, even in like fictional stories, when I see that happen, I go, no, it's that person's story. We can't do that to them. And um, so let's back it up a little bit. Um, um, you talk about uh, that you've never you don't talk about it maybe generally more just kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And then this situation happened where you were publicly introduced as such. Um, when, at what point in your life did you know that you were, and now I um, don't necessarily want to put a label on it, but I think you said you identify more as bisexual yes. is, the, is the term. So when did you know um, that you had that attraction to both genders then? Well, that's a good question. Um, I guess I didn't, use that label or think of that label until sometime about 30 years or so ago mm -hmm. when I had decided to that I wanted to go and do some therapy mm. um, about my life in general. And during the course of 
that therapy, um, I did ask the therapist. Um, I t- I let the therapist know that I I had a hard time. The thing that was bothering me the most was was trying to decide what to call myself because I d- I wasn't sure. I didn't I didn't feel like the term lesbian was accurate. And I didn't think that I, I certainly wasn't straight, but I said I just can't decide which one I should say. And and the therapist said, "Well, you know, I look at love and attraction as though it's on a continuum, and that some people are all the way on one end, perfectly straight, as we call it, and on the other hand, there are people that are perfectly." They don't identify as anything but gay or lesbian. And she says, but I think it's a continuum and that different people fall at different points on that continuum and that it's all right to be both, Mm. whatever works for that person. And she, she explained that to me, and that just, at the moment she said that, I felt as though a huge burden had been lifted from me because I no longer had to worry about or think that I had to classify myself a certain way mm. as far as being one or or the other. And that was that was eye-opening to me and ever since then I have just been completely at peace. Wow. Now, Magda, do you mind filling in a little color for us and helping us to picture how old you were, where you were at this time, the the, the, the surroundings you were in? John, you don't ask a woman her age. Have you not learned that yet? <laughs> I asked how old she was then. <laughs> and I've just said about 30-something years ago. <laughs> Approximately, assuming, uh, assuming we can do the math. But we'll, we'll just... Okay. So... This was about 1986, and I was about 40, so so I was around 40, mm. but I already knew by that time for some years that I certainly uh, was, was not straight. And was that... Uh, Let's go back even further, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, uh, as we grow, at least as I was growing up, there was an assumption that I would be interested in and date uh, girls, women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm assuming that you grew up in a similar uh, setting where the assumption was that you would probably date and be interested in boys or men. Is that correct? Well, that certainly would have been the expectation where I grew up, yes. Right. Um, I had a different situation in a way in my in my family because uh, I'm an only child, and my parents never, never talked to me about marriage or when I married or any kind of expectation along that line or when you might have grandchildren or anything. There was never a conversation of that nature. 
So I had a lot of freedom, and my parents never pushed me to to date. I did date when I was in high school and afterwards even at university. But there was just no expectation, I felt, that I do anything like what I normally hear other people talk about, what had happened in their growing up years. Right. And as you were in high school, uh, whereabouts was that? Um, I grew up in a in a state in the deep south of the United States. Okay, so and would it, it be... was a high school that was that is quite old. It was founded in 1783. Wow! Right? Wow! <laughs> would it be fair then, Magna, to assume that um, anything other than uh, a heterosexual relationship would have been considered? An aberration, probably? It would have been an aberration, for sure. I never even knew anything about uh, homosexuality until I was in university. I did not know the term. I did not know that women could be homosexual. I had heard a little bit about men, but it was always in a negative sense. Um, I had an experience when I was about 15 at the church where I was attending at that time, and it it was around Halloween, and instead of going trick-or-treat, we were teenagers, the uh, uh, youth group decided that we should uh, go trick-or-treat for the United Nations, and so we were going door-to-door collecting money for the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, I believe is the correct term. And we went to a friend of mine from the youth group and I were paired to go door-to-door to collect funds. And we went to this person's home, and it was an elderly gentleman who was alone at that time. His wife had died. He had children of his own. And he he was just the kindest, nicest talking person when we went to the door. And we went inside the door, stood in the hallway while he went to get some money to give us. And he had a beautiful home with lots of antiques. And he told us his name. And after we had finished the evening and I went home, I was sharing this information with my parents. And when I told them the man's name, they were a little bit alarmed. And they immediately told me that uh, this man was, because he was a prominent member of a local church, actually, And they tell me that this man was a person that you had to be careful around because he had, he liked boys and that he would, and there was an implication that he might also harm me, harm me because I was a girl, that, that he liked children. So there was no clear discussion of exactly what was meant by that at that time, but I later figured out as I got older and put lots of more information together that he was homosexual 
and that they, like many other people, associated, especially, I think, with men, that to be homosexual meant that they were predators and that they would were looking for young children, especially boys if they were men, to train to be with them or like them and so forth. I now know that I don't believe that that's true at all. Mm. But at that time, who was I to question what my parents were telling me? So I wanted to share that because that's one of my earliest um, stories. I'm really glad that you shared that because that is that is something that we have heard time and time again in the LGBTQ community. Um, and that still happens today that a lot of people will associate members of our community with those types of um, people as well. And that's not a fair, I mean, obviously there are um, folks who are not nice people in every group of people, but that's not a fair assumption to equate that. Um, and I think that at that time that was very common to equate it that way. And it does still happen today as well. Um, and I think that's something that's really important to, um, to talk about. And like you said, acknowledge that it was later in life when you could look at it and say that that's not the case, that that's, and that's why we're doing the show. We want to get rid of those stigmas and those negative things that people attach to it. So going back to that time, Magda, did you feel that that attitude that I'm assuming was prevalent in society at that time, uh, precluded you from really understanding who you might be in terms of your sexual attraction to? At that time in my life, I did not have any attraction either way to, as far as a sexual attraction. I didn't sense that at all with any gender. So I never gave that a thought at that time. But eventually, as you grew older and you um, became more interested in dating, uh, did, would that have had an impact on your range of, well, no, I, I need to date men. You know, the, the interest in women can't be there because I'm not one of that type of people. Is that the case? Well, actually, I guess it gives me an opportunity to say that during my years in high school and in university, or all school, I should say, I was never a very popular kid with other kids, regardless of gender, because I guess I was a nerd, and I was the per kind of person that had been given such, as an only child, I had been raised to, do, you know, to be, to do the right thing and what, and told what the right thing was and how to behave in all situations. And I'd always tried to do that because I had very strict parents, especially my mother, who was a disciplinarian in the family. And so I didn't stray far from, at least outwardly, 
I didn't stray far from what the expectations were in my family because I did not want the punishment that would come with it. So I was not a very popular kid in school because I would be the person that had no problem snitching on somebody who was not doing what they were supposed to do. Like if they were looking on my paper to get answers for a test or something like that, and it wasn't noticed by the teacher, I might mention it later. Not in front of the whole class, but I would had no compunction about caring if the other students didn't like me. That didn't bother me at all. Still doesn't. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, I just, I was never one trying to please my peers. I was always trying to please the teachers. So, I don't know if that helps to answer some it, it of that does. or not. So then, Magda, you went on, you said, to, to date. Uh, yes. In high some. school or beyond high school? Some, occasionally, but not. Never had a boyfriend. But it was really. men you were dating at that yes, stage of your yes. life. Yes. And then at what point did you first think, well, maybe men aren't for me, maybe Well, it was I developed after I went off to university. Um I joined the choir in the local church. Uh so I would continue what I'd been doing my whole life, which was going to church every Sunday and singing. And um, over the course, we had a, in that particular choir, the choir director and his wife and a group of us from the choir would go after choir practice to a local restaurant and just have coffee and maybe a snack after choir practice. And so one of the other people in the choir who was part of this group, and I became friends. And I guess I was attracted to this person who was a good deal older than I am because uh, they were, it, it was a female, and she was very smart. And I was always attracted to people that were inter intellectuals or intelli and intelligent people. And I guess, because that seemed to be the only people that I really enjoyed being with, people that mm. could talk about serious stuff. And so anyway, I became friends with this person in the choir and eventually became friends with this person's family, uh, parents, and became a part of visiting in their home quite a bit. And at some point, um, that turned into an attraction, and it was eventually consummated. And that's how I finally figured out that there was something going on with me that was maybe more than I had ever realized. And the person that I was involved with realized that I really didn't know what was going on and recommended a book to me that I should read that was apparently a, 
a groundbreaking book at the time it was published called The Well of Loneliness. And it had been out for quite a while, but it was about women and about um, lesbian relationships. And was that an important book for you? Yes, because it explained a lot. I did get the book and I did read it from cover to cover. And I realized, oh, hmm, this is, this is normal for some women. This, I realized it was not an aberration that I had this experience, that this was a normal experience for some women. And, and as, as you were um, having this epiphany that, okay, there is this other world that's opening up to me, what kind of emotions were going through you at that time? Mixed emotions, because I was very happy in the relationship that I had formed with this person, but I was also dreading or wondering how I'm going to, will I let people know this about me or not? Uh, Will I be openly this way? And I thought, nope, I can't do that. So just to get the geographical sense still, at this point, you're still living in I'm the Deep South? I'm still well. living in the Deep South. Okay. And I mean, the Deep South is, um, I don't want to stereotype, but uh, I think it's pretty well known for not always being the most progressive place, um, generally. So I wonder how much does that weigh on you while you're kind of going through this realization and reading this book and, and maybe starting to discover more about who you are, does that, where you are geographically, does that kind of play into maybe a bit of a struggle or anything then? Or, Well, when I was, when I was growing up and living in, in the deep South, I didn't realize how different we were from the rest of the world. And it took me a lot of years to really comprehend that fact. Mm. And I do, of course, realize how different we were now. But at that time, I knew that we were, I, did, I don't even know if I knew the word conservative, but I, I knew that we were different, more reserved than, and I certainly was it was implied in conversations that other parts of the United States were more liberal mm. and that they were, that, that we didn't want to be like them, so to speak. So I didn't really, I can't say that I really had a, lo- a big concept of that at that time. Mm. And the other thing that I'm wondering about is uh, you've mentioned a few times growing up in the church, uh, mm-hmm. being really heavily involved and in, and it uh, kind of throughout your whole life. Um, so I wonder how much does that play into kind of this time in your life as well, where you're realizing that you know you might not be kind of what the church is preaching is what you should be at the same time. Um, I wonder how much that um, affected you at the time as well. Well, I was pretty naive about a lot of things, 
And I was naive in that sense because I didn't even realize what the church's stance was. To me, that I'm not even sure that I made a connection that this might not be acceptable from the church's standpoint. Because I wasn't talking about it with anybody. Was there any, can I just ask a question? Was there any preaching about that? No. Then? Like, I wonder if that maybe is in my mindset, because I grew up in a time when that was more of a hot topic yes. in public, right? So preaching about it was maybe more common. We're talking about the, the 1960s. Mm. And at that time, to my knowledge, there was, there was no discussion publicly. Not certainly no positive discussion mm. about uh, homosexuality. I think that it was all pretty close, closed, and the church did not talk about it. None of the churches that I had any association with ever mentioned the subject. And in general, any mention ever, a hint of, was always in a negative sense. And it had to do with maybe something in the news that had happened, like like an, a man being arrested for being with some young man in his car. I remember a couple of incidents like that, and, and it was somebody that was well-known in the city, the older man was, mm. because he was involved with the school system. So... This made the news. So that's the only thing I ever heard much about along these lines. Mm -hmm. Never about women. Never heard a word about women. Um, so you were in, uh, in the Deep South, and obviously now we live in Canada. So at some <laughs> point you've transitioned from one country to another. Uh, what time in your life did that happen? Um. That happened a little over 20 years ago. Okay. And I met online someone who would become my partner. And at the time, of course, it was just chatting, chat rooms. Mm -hmm. And uh, so eventually I, I met someone and and eventually decided that I wanted to move here. Okay. Um. And so I, I, this, this is honest. This is the thing that I am probably the most interested in while I was preparing for this interview is you've lived in the United States and in a pretty specific part of the United States. And now you're here in Canada. Is there a lot of differences that you see between the two countries? Um, I mean, th there probably is a list of a billion things that you would see that's a difference, but specifically when it comes to LGBTQ, um, issues and uh, stances and things, is there a difference that you see between the countries and the way they approach it, um, in how, um, what it's like to be a member of that community in each, each country as well? Well, you know, the United States is a huge country and mm -hmm. a m much huger population mm -hmm. than, than Canada. So I really have very little experience outside living in the South. So I would say that there are huge differences between living in the Deep South, at least there were when I lived there, 
and living here in Canada when it comes to uh, how homosexuality is viewed and dealt with and so forth. Um, it was the area around Atlanta, Georgia, for example, is known as an area that is quite accepting and open to people who are gay mm-hmm. or lesbian or whatever part of the LGBTQ uh, group. But outside of that, there's an, an old saying that there is Atlanta in Georgia and then there's the rest of the state. <laughs> That's an old saying that goes way back before any of this information that we're talking about. So Atlanta's always been a little more progressive. It's always than... been more progressive, yes, yeah. in many ways. And, of course, many people who don't live in that city are very happy they don't live there mm-hmm. because it's not something that they don't like the things that make Atlanta stand out and make it a progressive city. But anyway, to compare that with with um, what I have observed about Canada, I would say that Canada is, has always appeared to me to be a lot more accepting of people in general. Mm-hmm no matter what their differences are. Uh, I feel that I like to think, I've sometimes told people that Canada reminds me of how I perceived my country when I was a younger person, that it was a kinder country. This is a kinder country. It's more open to people and their differences uh, you have more cultures represented in this can in this uh, country than we had, say, in the South. We didn't have very many cultures until I'd say around the time of the Vietnamese War. After that, we began to get people coming from other countries in Asia to live in the, in the states, mm-hmm. and I taught students who were from Vietnam. I taught boat boat children. Okay. And they settled in big cities, generally, because they settled. I've always compared it to the settling of the states in the 1800s when people would come over on boats from Europe and they would settle in cities where the boat landed or near those cities, like New York. Well, the same happened, I felt, during the the era of the 60s and so forth. When people were coming from Asia, they would fly into a big city, and they'd end up staying not far from the airport and, and not filtering out into the other communities. At that time, I think it's, it's gotten better since mm-hmm. then. So if you've... If I've veered too much from I what did you too, asked so that's me. fine. <laughs> so just let me know, and yeah. I can no, get back on track. No, I, I, I would like, uh, I'd like to go back 
to your story, Magda, at that point when you read the book cover to cover. Okay. So this is eye-opening for you at the time, I presume. Oh, yes. I never read anything like that or even thought of I, my imagination in Denver. I had felt really isolated in what was happening to me in my self, my life. I really didn't think there was any there would be anybody else like me. Wow. So once you read this book mm-hmm. and you realized what a lesbian uh, was, then did you identify with that or did you think that's not quite me, but I see aspects of myself there? I I did I saw a lot of myself in that story, in my feelings that I was experiencing at that time. And I didn't, I didn't reject it and say, "Oh no, that's not me. That's not what's happening." No, I accepted it, but I still was not ready to share with other people mm. because I didn't trust how they would react. Right. And so, was there any fear in you to to face this possibility of um, who you were? At heart? There was a part of me that just was willing to accept that, okay, I know what I'm feeling, I know what I, and I'm okay with that, but I don't know how many people I'm going to be able to tell this to, share this with, because I'm afraid they won't accept it, that they will not want to be friends with me anymore, and that sort of thing. I had... I had real concerns about that, but it didn't make me feel like I should try to deny anything. But it was all an internal conversation. Mm. I was not discussing this with anyone else. Right. So when uh, clearly you shared with the the person who gave you the book uh, your feelings, who was the next person with whom you felt safe enough to share that part of yourself? I I really don't know right now because it's been a while. <laughs> would you guess it would have been a year or five years or ten years? I think that I my approach was always to share on a as needed basis, <laughs> and has continued to be that way ever since then. And so this was, um, you, you got this book, was that when you were in university still then? Yes. So that would have been some time before you ended up, because you did mention that you went to see a counselor at one point. Oh, yes, that um, was much so later. That was much later on. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that, um, if you want to call it an identity, I don't want to call it a crisis, but like an identity, you know, you're working through that. Is that what led you to go seek out counseling then for... Um, that might be a loaded question, but <laughs> no, I don't mind. I don't mind discussing that. A lot of years had had happened since those early days in the '60s, but in the meantime, I had worked in a school where there were quite a few folks on the faculty. It was a large school in um, an urban area. And there were a lot of folks on the faculty, and there were quite a few of them who were 
um, who identified as lesbian or gay, and that was an eye-opener to me. And it was a comfortable thing because I sort of made a point of getting to know some of those people, especially ones in my department, and just so I could talk to them and uh, became friends with 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 uh, those individuals, mm-hmm. and still am friends with with one or two of them. But um, no, in the meantime, I I got married. So in the late 70s, I met someone through someone else and began to date and um, eventually got married. And I thought, okay, I remember kind of thinking to myself that, okay, this is fine. This is a nice person. And, And he was. And I thought, you know, because I always had standards about what kind of person, you know, you're going to want to spend time with, because I didn't grow up in a, in a home where parents were fighting and that kind of thing. It was mm-hmm. a fairly normal home. And, uh, but anyway, this was a nice person, and I just, who had been married before and had children, and was um, retired from the military. And I lived in a, a city where the... I had grown up in a city where the military was... There was a military base there, so I was used to GIs being around. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I had gotten married, and... Um, It was during that time period that uh, I had lost family members, uh, elderly people in the family, and so there weren't too many people left uh, that were close to me. Mm-hmm. And I'd always had this nagging uh, feeling that I really needed to get some counseling because I told you earlier that I lived in a very strict home. Mm-hmm. And my mother was a disciplinarian, and my mother, I'll just say that her idea of punishment when I needed, when she felt I needed to be punished, did not vary in the form of punishment that she used. It was not, you know, this is a timeout. That was a term I don't even think people used then. But it was always a spanking. And so I had had many spankings in my life. Not about anything concerning homosexuality, but just in general, not... As I began to grow and become more of an independent person, it was very difficult, I feel, for my mother to deal with that. Because I began to question, I began to argue with her about things and so she had always been very of course the more I changed the more the harder she was the harsher Mm. she was and so 
I was carrying that burden around with me. And it was a burden. It still is. And I just decided at some point that I wanted that I was away from my mother now. I was just with my husband and that I felt I needed to get some, go to someone so I could talk about these things. Somebody who could do something about it. Because mm-hmm. I had certainly shared this information with friends, but friends can only do so much. So I decided that, so I asked my regular physician if she could refer me to to a counselor. So she gave me two or three names to call. And the first person I called ended up being the person that I went to. She said, we'll meet. You come here and we'll meet and talk and see if we can work together. And I love that approach mm. because I felt like, okay, it's all open for either of us to say, no, this isn't going to work. But it in fact did work. And is this the person you referenced earlier? That you mentioned a counselor who had given you some good advice yes. that lifted a weight. Yes. She's the one. Okay. And I went to her for a couple of years at that time. Then I felt like I had gotten what I needed to at that time and stopped going to her. And then later on, I went back for other reasons. Was there any conversation with her or... Uh, in your own mind at this point uh, as you're married to a man about uh, am I lesbian? Am I not lesbian? Am I bisexual? Is this the time when that started to surface in your thinking? That's when, during the course of the counseling, yes, that's when that, that came up and I asked her that question. And um, that's when she explained to me her idea about, a continuum, that sexuality is like a continuum and that people are at different points on that continuum, but depending on what their preferences are. So before that, was it um, confusing to you that you had had this uh, seemingly lesbian relationship earlier? And It was very much <laughs> <laughs> that kind of relationship originally, yes. And yes, because I uh, had a good relationship that way with my husband, sexually, and had had other relationships prior to that with other people that I had dated. And, you know, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy sex. Depending on, yes, it always makes a difference who it is. You know, I'm not really that. <laughs> but I think, you know, you can, you can enjoy sex with many different people if you have the opportunity or the willingness and mm-hmm. so forth. But, but that's what puzzled me, too, was why can I enjoy this? type of relationship with these people and with these people, and I don't feel bad about it. That was the, that was the bottom line, that it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. 
So that was the freedom you felt was when you could admit that. I have a question considering this podcast is called Canada Out of the Closet. Is the coming out experience uh, an important facet in your life or, or and should it be in other people? I mean, you're not going to comment on what it should be for other people, but I just wonder what that means to you, the coming out experience. I have not felt that it's necessary for me to um, to tell everyone to or to announce when I meet people. This is something you should know about me. I just don't because I feel like it's part of there are lots of things I don't share with people, and everybody has certain things that they don't share, I imagine, unless they have a reason to. <laughs> and I just don't feel like I have to announce it or make it clear or anything, because I know I can interact with people, that, and it doesn't matter to me who they are, and I know I'm not going to try to pursue a sexual relationship with someone just because I am who I am. But, um, so I've never made a big deal about it. And so generally I've shared this information with people who are like-minded mostly with me and, or their lifestyle is similar to mine. But even then, not usually until I've known them for some time. But I have, I did have an experience a few years ago of being at a, at a celebration for someone and uh, who was a good friend of mine. And uh, when they were introducing various people in the group who were there as their uh, relatives, friends, whatever, they introduced me as the partner of my partner. And I had never been introduced, never before in a public setting had anyone ever introduced me as a partner of anyone. So I remember going inside kind of this big breath inside. <laughs> I didn't know exactly. And I just sat there and just, just maintained my composure and did. And didn't even say anything to the person who said who made this announcement for some years. I didn't say a word about it. But what were you feeling inside at that moment? I was feeling like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> now everybody's going to know if they had didn't know, if they hadn't figured it out. Now everybody will know. And will it and why did that bother me? Well, it bothered me because I guess I've always been afraid that if the people who've always thought they knew me found out they didn't know me and that they knew this particular aspect of my life that they would not want to be my friends anymore. Because and, how would I know whether they would or not? Right. And have you found that to be the case? Well, in this particular setting, no. 
I have I found that that has not been an issue. Nobody's ever asked me since that occasion or commented, and I figure they just filed it away if they heard it at all. You know how you sometimes aren't listening when <laughs> in a group, but if they actually heard it, maybe they just filed it away and they were fine. And I think that has to do with the fact that this was in Canada and that Canada is not too... Well, at least the people I know in Canada are not worried about what I do when the bedroom door is shut or or any of those things. Or when I go into my home, mm. I feel that people are not really worried about that. And that's a good thing. I think had this been in the States, in the Deep South, I don't know for sure how much it's changed because I haven't lived there in a long time. Mm-hmm. But I think there would still be some people that would not be happy. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, I think that, and we've talked about this with a lot of guests, that you know we live in a country that we're quite lucky to live in, really. Um, and that we are, I mean, there's still a way to go when it comes to acceptance and um, equality and those things. Uh, but we have come a long ways from where we were here. And I think that's something that I know every day that I'm grateful for. Um, and something that my fiance and I talk about a lot is, you know, how lucky we are to live, um, live in a, in a place like this, um, uh, where it, you know, it's not always a huge issue <laughs> and you don't have to, and we still have to have our guard up. I, I talked about that in the first episode that I still, you know, in the part of country that I live in, um, is not always the most progressive. And so I do still have a bit of a guard up, but um, we are really lucky to still be here where, um, you know, at least legally there is protection for us and there's um, things that exist that way. Um, so I, I, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And I'm really glad to have that perspective as well of, you know, the difference between the United States, especially the South and, and living in Canada. And we live in a part of, of Canada that is, um, I think still considered maybe like the South of Canada in a way. Um, so it's interesting to, to hear that aspect as well. Uh, you know, we're uh, approaching the end of our time together and I, I wish we had much more time. This has been so fascinating and so interesting to me. Um, and so the way that we wrap this up is John and I will uh, each like to share our own kind of takeaway from, from our conversation today. Uh, John, I'm going to go first. Uh, cause I feel like you and I were writing down stuff down at the same time. So I, I want to claim, I want to claim the good takeaway here. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, my, I, I wrote a few things down. Um, the first thing that I'm going to say is this is a PSA for, um, the coming out process. And, um, you shared with us about kind of being outed in that, uh, situation and, uh, don't do that folks. Don't, uh, don't talk about other people and their stories and uh, make sure you've got permission or that you know that it's, uh, I mean, if someone got up and said I was gay at an event, I think that's pretty plain and obvious at this point, because I'm getting married to a man and we <laughs> live together and it's quite a public situation. But um, but if you don't know, don't do that and let people do that in their own way. Uh, and I just feel like I needed to put that out there. Um, my takeaway though today is uh, your story is so different from mine and from a lot of the folks that we've talked to, because coming out, I think, can often be seen as that pivotal moment in your life. And it was for me, right? And But um, I really appreciated from your story that 
we don't all follow that same trajectory. We don't all have that defining coming out moment and that it's okay not to have that. It's okay to live a life um, in the way that you're comfortable and sharing it with who you want to share it with. And, um, and I think sometimes, I mean, I have a show called Canada out of the closet where we're talking about coming out, but I'm so glad that we have you here to tell us, you know, it's not, it's not always this, you know, defining moment or this, um, moment where you have this great story to go with it. And I think your story is fantastic and how you've, um, how you've embraced who you are and done it on your own terms um, and in your own way. And I think that's, I think that's really important for our listener to hear. John. I just realized uh, Magda as, as I was pondering what my takeaway was that there was one loose end from the story that I I'm very curious to know. And that's, did you stay in touch with that uh, woman who gave you the book uh, with whom you had that first experience? Well, we we certainly stayed in touch for a few years while I was still going to school. And we stayed in touch after that, after I went became a a working person. And uh for she moved on, however, in her own relationships with people, but we did stay in touch here and there over the years and she has passed away recently uh, several years ago now but yes i know that we did we stayed in touch and there's a lot more to that story but but i'll just say that yes we stayed in touch but we did go our separate ways okay. as well a lot more for another podcast it's just a season it's, two let's uh, drop exactly. that <laughs> exactly. i think my takeaway um it comes from that epiphany moment in your life where the um, therapist suggested that we're all on a spectrum. And, and we tend to really dichotomize. Well, maybe for some heterosexuals, we monochotomize. How about I invent a word today? <laughs> you know, where we, oh, we must be uh, heterosexual. But then, oh, we open our minds and now we can be uh we can be lesbian or we can be, I guess that's not a dichotomy, or we can be uh, homosexual m- men. Let me say that again, shall I? What am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> lesbian. What's the proper term for lesbian would be women. Men would be... Gay, gay. usually. Well, usually, but, but, that's, but sometimes but I also, that's open. So that's why yeah. I stutter for a second because... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, generally, Anyways, I, I know it's a weird thing because the of our acronyms, right? Like our, our, um, like the LGBTQ and I always, there's, I think there's more initials not that. I, I never get them all straight all the time. Um, but, uh, because of that, I think men get called the gay part and they use the lesbian for women. But I know a lot of women who are lesbians that will also say I'm gay. So it's kind of a weird thing when it comes to the labels. So you're in a safe space. This to, must be John's hetero this moment. This is John's hetero moment for sure. But you know what I'm saying? We, we open, yeah. we open our minds up further. Uh, and, and okay, now there's two, ca- there are two categories. Oh no, now there are three categories. Uh, you know, I think when we define things too rigidly, we create huge problems for ourselves because we don't realize that we are on a spectrum and that can be so freeing as it was for you. Some people would say that uh, why why categorize? 
Why do we have to define so specifically? When you could, especially when we're talking about sexuality. Right. And I know that some people don't feel that way at all because they're quite comfortable saying, I am this. But a lot of people don't really feel we have to say that. And maybe that ties into the uh, coming out part that we just talked about. Uh, just one final question for you, Magda, and that is, was it, was it a difficult decision to uh, open up on, on this personal part of your life in this podcast? Well, I remember feeling a bit of a catch in my, in my breath when I was asked if I was willing to do this podcast, thinking, oh, I don't know, I've never talked about this with a group, one-on-one mm-hmm. -on -one usually, but never with the idea that other people would hear me. But I think that you were the person that asked me if I would do this, and because I already knew you, and and I knew you, Travis, but not mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But because I knew you, John, I trusted that you would, we could work together to share this information, because I felt that it might be of help to somebody somewhere. Well, Magda, we are so honored that you would open this part of your life to us and share these stories with us. So thank you very much for, for being here today. Thank you for asking me, and both of you. We've got just that one last question for you today, which is if there's one thing that you would want people to know about being uh, LGBTQ in Canada, what is that thing? That uh, based on my own experience, I would say that you are in a very safe place to be who you are, to be yourself, your true self, and enjoy being here. Very wise words to, to end our time together. Uh, Magda, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I know that this was not maybe the easiest thing to do, like you said, to talk kind of publicly about it. And I really appreciate the uh, time and effort that you put into it and uh, for opening up with us. Um, and I, I really think that uh, our listeners are going to really take something away from this conversation. And that's, that's the most important thing. That's why we're here doing this uh, every week. Um, so thank you, Magda, again for your time. Thank you, listener, for joining us today. We're so glad that you did, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. This has been Canada Out of the Closet. The show is produced and hosted by Travis Bozer and John Whitten. The creative consultant, Scott Blair. The theme song is Brighter Place by The Young Presidents. A special thank you today to our guests for bringing their special story to you. By the way, you'll find us both on Instagram and Facebook at Canada Out of the Closet, and that's all one word. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us by email at CanadaOutOfTheCloset at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another Canadian living out of the closet. <laughs>